Morning. We're still, we were sick this week and still getting over it, so I may have to pause and take a drink of water more than normal, but we'll see how much we can get through here. Revelation 14, uh, going to cover kind of the end of that again, and then 15. So a little bit more reading here. And like David said, he asked, he texted, what is the message going to be about? And told him, we're going to talk about fearing God, judgment, sin, and wrath. Not a lot of songs in the back with the, you know, the subject list or whatever um, under any of those. So that was really nice um, to have that kind of a pre-message message. A lot of the same points I was going to bring up, so... That was really a blessing. Okay. Well, let's read here. Start by reading the scripture. Uh, Revelation 14. We'll start in verse 14. And then go through the end of chapter 15. But before we do that, I'm going to pray one more time. Father, just pray that you'd help us. We need you every day. We need you today. Um, Pray you'd help me to be clear thinking and speaking and Give us all hearts to um, just bow before you and what you've said and humble ourselves before you and just marvel at your goodness. Um, We just hand this all to you. We need you today. Amen. All right, Revelation 14, 14. Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and seated on the cloud, one like the Son of Man, with a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the temple, calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Put in your sickle and reap, for the hour to reap has come, for the harvest of this earth is fully ripe. So he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle across the earth, and the earth was reaped. Then another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, the angel who has the authority over fire. And he called with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle, Put put in your sickle, and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, for its grapes are ripe. So the angel swung its sickle across the earth and gathered the grape harvest of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. The winepress was trodden outside the city, and blood flowed from the winepress as high as a horse's bridle for 1,600 stadia. Before I read 15.1, just a reminder, last week I talked about this, uh, you know, the Hebrew word when they talk about wine is, um, talks about as the blood of the grapes. And so this is a kind of a play on words here. This is a figurative thing. I don't think it's actually talking about a literal um, 1600 stadia. But uh, anyways, but it's definitely talking about wrath, God's wrath. Okay, 15.1. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last. For with them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, and those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name, standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord, God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. After this I looked, and the sanctuary of the tent of witness in heaven was opened. And out of the sanctuary came seven angels with seven plagues, clothed in pure bright linen, with golden sashes around their chests. And one of the four living creatures 
gave to the seven angels seven bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. Okay, so today, there's uh, I mentioned this last week, there's a lot in the book of Revelation about God's wrath and judgment and putting all things right. One of the main messages, you know, when we talked about there's lots of things that people get focused on that are in the book of Revelation but aren't the main message. One of the really core things is the victory of Jesus' victory over evil and sin and death. But that has a flip side. The victory of over evil, sin, and death means he's got to defeat his enemies, right? And so there's a positive side and... There's a destructive side, right? That he's going to establish all things good, but that means he has to thwart all things evil. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. There's Honestly, each one of these little subheadings could really be a message. And actually, I think we've given messages on most of these um, already. But we're going to talk about... I'm going to try and arrange it not according to how they come up in 14 and 15, but maybe logically. So we're going to start with the fear of God, which comes up several times here in the passages we read. A little bit before we started in 14, it talks about the fear of God. I'll read this one verse to you, 14.7. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth and the sea and the springs of water. So in that particular verse, 14.7, it starts with fearing God, and it gives these other things as you know the reasons, the motives for fearing God. We read 15.4. I'll read that to you one more time. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. So fearing God uh, is linked to the idea of justice, judgment, and wrath. And there's several questions that come up when we talk about fearing God. We're commanded here to fear God. This is one of the commandments. We should fear God. And yet... In the book of Revelation and throughout the scriptures, not only do we fear God, but God is the person that we run to. It seems at first glance kind of a dichotomy. We're supposed to fear God and run to God. This is actually how it works. Um, A couple of illustrations. Whenever there's something that's ultimate power, um, we have to, if, if we truly fear it, we have to run to it for protection. It actually happens in the political world. Think about the atomic bomb. If you're really afraid of the atomic bomb, what's the response? Build up your atomic arsenal <laughs> to, you know, to uh, deter. And the same with, you know, on a more personal level, the most powerful personal weapon that you could have would be a gun. If you're afraid of somebody with guns, what do people get? guns, <laughs> right? And it's the same with God, although that, those are negative examples only. Uh, if we fear God, we have to run to God. He's our only refuge. He's of ultimate power and authority, so where can we run? We only run to him. It's a good thing that God is good, uh, or there would be no other, no other options. We fear God. Fearing God is always linked with running to him, that he's, he's our refuge. I'll give you a couple of verses here from the Old Testament. Uh, Psalm 2, where it talks about a prophecy about Jesus. 
Let me read uh, a couple verses from Psalm 2. I'll start in verse 8. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron, and dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be warned, be wise, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear, and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry with you, and perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Well, that sounds exactly like what we just read in Revelation, doesn't it? Here's Christ on a throne. He's, he's the one crowned. Uh, and what's the message? Fear him and take refuge in him. Run to him. It says, kiss the son, lest he be angry with you. That though we fear God, where does it cause us to do? It causes us to run to him for refuge. God is our only refuge. We fear him because he's a just God. I'll give you another example of this, of the goodness of fear. Um, and this is more of a positive example. It reminds me of when I was in high school, we had a shop class. Have you, has anybody ever taken shop class? A lot of homeschoolers, I guess. Maybe, maybe you guys should help, yeah, help your dad and call it shop class, I guess. But um, What we did the first week of shop class was literally the teacher just tried to scare us Scare the wits out of us, I guess you would say. And that's all we did. We, he told horror story after horror story after horror story of all the you know, accidents and boards being thrown across the room and people getting maimed. And we went through this safety checklist that you couldn't touch any of the equipment until you pass. And why was that? Because there's an appropriate fear that is in response to power. And if you want to create... Uh, relate rightly to something powerful, you have to have an appropriate fear. It's the same with God. We don't want to treat God like he doesn't matter, like it's not a big deal, that God is to be feared. So much more than the tools. And the tools were not meant to be negative, right? The tools weren't meant to hurt. But they will, if you relate to them wrongly. It's the same with God. Um, that, well, let's say it this way. There's a verse in the Old Testament. It talks about, basically, this is a paraphrase, there's great fear where there is no fear. It actually can be taken two ways. It could be some. It could be talking about people who are scared when nothing's actually there. Um, but I'm going to take it a little bit differently. That it, The most fearful thing is when there's no fear of God. And it's the same with the shop class, right? Well, who was the teacher the most scared of? The people that had no fear. Oh, I don't need to, you know, I've already worked with my dad. I don't need to learn all this. Oh, I can't believe we have to do this. That those kids actually were ended up the ones getting hurt the most because there wasn't fear. There wasn't a fear, uh, an appropriate fear, where you got, you got your hand on the saw and you look down ten times to make sure your finger is not across that line where it's going to cut, you know, because, you know, you can only cut your finger once, you know, and then, you know, <laughs> it's you know you can't get it back. Um, measure once, cut twice, especially when your fingers are concerned. Or, or <laughs> I do it the opposite. <laughs> measure twice, cut once. Yeah. Um, so, anyways, it's the same with God, though, right? That if somebody has no fear of God, there's no fear. That's that's where there's great fear. If you don't, if you're not fearing God at all, you're not relating to Him rightly. You're setting yourself up for disaster. Well, it brings up another question. Um, and when we talk about the fear of God, this always comes up, I feel like we have to address it, which is 
the verse, you know, perfect love casts out fear. And I really like this verse. It's a very clear verse. This is my favorite verse on fearing God, and it's really easy to remember. Exodus 20.20, like 20.20 vision. And it's actually perfect because if you see rightly, if you're, if you're going to see clearly, you have to fear God. And I really like this verse. Exodus 20.20. I really, I ha- this is so helpful. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. Don't fear. Why? Because God has come to make you fear, <laughs> that you may not sin. You see that exactly what I'm talking about with the, you know, with a shop class illustration. If there's an appropriate fear, you don't need to be afraid of the tools. If you're relating rightly, they are not dangerous. If you follow the rules, they're not dangerous because you have an appropriate fear. And it's the same with God. When we're rightly related to God, we perfect love casts out fear. We can be right with him. It's when we're in wrong relationship with him that we should fear. And so the fear of God puts us in a position where we want to be right, where we want to not sin is the way um, Exodus 20, 20 talks about it. That when we actually fear God, we run to him for refuge. He's our only hope. And so that's just a short, short thing on fear. We should fear God. Why? Well, leads us into the next thing. We're going to talk about sin and hell, judgment and wrath. Okay, Sin, they're all so related that I feel like I couldn't really talk about one without explaining all the others. So I'm going to try and be brief. But first we've got to talk about sin. And this is going to take some kind of backdrop. Because well, I'm going to kind of build on something we talked about uh, two summers ago when we talked about the children's catechism thing and we said one of the questions is what is sin and if any of you remembered it i would be really shocked so i'm not gonna, but i'm not going to ask you um, i'll tell you the answer what is sin the thing we talked about these are all based on verses is sin is loving the darkness more than the light saying to god don't reign over me and sin is an animal crouching at the door ready to devour you those are the things we talked about Sin is an important concept that we need to have clearly in our minds. I'm going to bring a verse to you from Deuteronomy 30 that I like that is really clear what the nature of sin relates directly to judgment and wrath. And so we really need to understand what sin is. See, I have set before you today, this is Deuteronomy 30, life and good and death and evil, if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live. I'm going to skip ahead in Deuteronomy 30, 19 and 20. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse, therefore choose life, that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, and holding fast to him, for he is your life and your length of days. Sin is something we should not do or think or pursue. And who has the right to tell us what we're made for? God. God has the right. That in questions of morality, what's right, what's wrong, we have to go back to who gets to decide. What is the standard? And the standard is God. 
The standard is not your preference and my preference, right? We all know that sin is not subjective. It's not just what I feel is right or wrong, right? Uh, it's not a subjective uh, definition. It's something that you have a preference, I have a preference. It's whatever we feel in our heart. You like vanilla? I prefer strawberry ice cream. That's my preference. Sin is not like that. And that's actually um, something some people really believe. And one way that that's very clear is if you give an example. You prefer to be kind and peaceful. I prefer to insert heinous act. People know that's not right. <laughs> it's not a personal preference. It's not a democratic vote. If we decide as a country we vote, and we actually we didn't vote, but we for quite a long time, um, a majority of the country was okay with abortion. It didn't make it right. Uh, it's not majority rules. In Hitler's Germany, um, they made the laws. And one of the things they wanted to do was to kill Jews and other disabled people. And it doesn't make it right, no matter how many governments or rulers tell you it's okay. In fact, that's at the Nuremberg trials, that's what they argued. There's a higher law. Even if the people were technically following the law, there's a higher law. What is the standard? Well, the standard is what God said it is. God is the creator, and he decided and designed us to live a certain way. And when we go against that, uh, that's sin. Now, what was the purpose? A lot of times when we think of sin, at least when I grew up, I thought of sin as kind of these hoops that you jump through. You know, just God made these arbitrary rules to see who was really going to listen. But that's not the case. Deuteronomy 30, where you read at the beginning, he says, I've set before you life and death, good and evil, therefore choose life. God actually has your good in mind. God wants you to follow him, to do the what you were designed to do. And going against that is sin. Going against that is by nature death, because he's telling you what leads to life. That's what sin is. Sin is telling God, don't reign over me. I know better than you. I want to decide what's right and wrong for myself. But it's loving the darkness more than the light. Every time we choose sin, we're choosing something lesser, something that we weren't designed for, something that hurts us and others. It's always the case. Lying is destroying the truth. Um, adultery is destroying trust in marriage, um, destroying the marriage relationship. We go down the list. God is out for your good and for life, for you. This is really important because we've got to have this established when we get to judgment. God is the creator. He has the right to tell you what you were designed for. And he actually is out for your good, which is the good news. Sin, God telling us not to sin is like a shepherd telling the sheep to stay in the sheep pen. And, the sh and sin is like the sheep saying, I want to be out on my own in the woods. The shepherd's just too narrow-minded. That's going to lead to death. That God is offering us life. Are there boundaries? Yes. Boundaries, just what we need. That's just right for us. That's the best thing for us. And so when we reject that, we're choosing death. We're choosing second best. And so this relates, obviously, to wrath. Wrath is God's just anger in response to sin. It's perfectly just. Uh, Revelation 14.8 She has caused the nations to drink the wine of her passionate immorality. There's actually another play on um, imagery here. 
Uh, I'm going to read to you. Uh, look, why don't you turn there just if you're not looking at it with me. Just look at this section. Revelation 14.8. This is talking... Um, this is really important to get here because it relates to what we just talked about with sin. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great. She who has made all the nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. That word for passion there is the same word for wrath, for God's wrath or anger, um, although we translate it passion there. And the reason it's important to see that is there is a perfect balance in this image that those who drink the wine of God's wrath have chosen to drink this, this wine of sexual immorality. It's one and the same. It's, it's perfectly fitting and perfectly balanced. Uh, it's the same idea in Revelation 18.3. It's a very similar verse, but I'll read it to you. For all the nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. This is a contrast to Revelation 14.10. He also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured forth full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. So everyone who is following the beast, worships the beast, is going to drink the wine of God's wrath. It's, this, it's perfectly balanced. It's this picture, even using the same word, wrath or passion in the other sense. It's the exact same word. And so the reality is is that it's important to understand these things. It's important to have our minds be clear in terms of the Bible. Uh, we want our thinking to match God's thinking. We want to worship God in truth. Okay, I'm going to tile this together. I hope this is really clear. When we're talking about sin... Sin is choosing to go outside what God has commanded. Sin is choosing death. To say, God, you said this leads to life. I don't want that. I want to go my own direction. Okay? And so what, what is wrath? Wrath is actually giving people what they are asking for. And the Bible describes this in several places, and it's kind of a surprising thing. Okay? Psalm 7 is a really good example. God is a righteous judge who feels indignation every day. If man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared him. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making air, making his arrows fiery shafts. Okay, so think about this. Psalm 7. It's saying that God has this all this imagery of wrath. He's got his bow ready. His sword is sharpened. What is that in your mind going to like result in? You know, what are you thinking is going to come next? God's wrath, this sharp arrow, this this sharp sword that is the image of God's wrath. Listen to the next verse. Behold, the wicked man conceives evil and is pregnant with mischief and gives birth to lies. He makes a pit, digging it out, and falls into the hole he has made. His mischief returns on his own head, and on his own skull violence descends. You see that? God's wrath is giving people what they're asking for. If people want to sin, God will let them sin. That's judgment. 
Remember what we said the definition for sin was in terms of uh, what we talked about in the catechism question for a while ago? Uh, sin is loving the darkness more than the light. Saying to God, don't reign over me. And sin is like an animal crouching down to devour you. I want you to notice something. All the images we see in this chapter, Revelation 14 and 15, about hell are those exact things. Darkness. People are loving darkness. And what's hell, hell described as? Outer darkness. People are saying, God, don't reign over me. What is hell? Not being invited into the kingdom of God. You're on the outside. That's exactly what people say to God when they sin. I don't want, I don't want you to be my king. I don't want you to be my lord. I want to be my own lord. I want to do what I want to do. And sin is an animal crouching to devour you. Uh, Jesus says it's like a worm that doesn't die or a, fi- a fire that's not quenched. There's a devouring. And that's exactly what happens. That's exactly what sin is. And the reason I want you to see this, it's so because it's so perfectly just. God is perfectly just in his wrath. God is perfectly just. That's the reason he, he has commanded us in the first place. It's because he loves us. God is not trying to keep anything good from you. God is trying to give you the best everything. So it's a warning to us. Is there any area where we love the darkness more than the light? Or where we say to God, I don't want you to reign over me. It's very important because in those areas you're choosing death over life. You're saying you're, you're wanting to be devoured. But there's, there's more here. Why was Revelation you know, written? Well, we talked about how the word revelation just means revealing. And if I said, open up to the revealing of Jesus, that's what we're talking about. The, revel- the book of Revelation is showing us who Jesus is. It's not about political things. It's not mainly about when the millennium is, is going to be or the, all the different dates. The main message is the revealing of Jesus. And who is Jesus? Jesus is both the perfect judge who wants what's good for us, who died on the cross for our sins. He's a perfect judge who's also the lamb who died on the cross to take our to take God's wrath. He's both. He's the judge and the sacrifice. And we talked about earlier he's the lion and the lamb. He's the lion in the sense that he he will he's fierce and his anger is fierce against evil. But he's the lamb in the sense that he died. He sacrificed himself for us. God wants us to repent, right? God wants us to know him, to turn from sin to Christ. To, Like we talked about, we spent so much time talking about Jesus as king. Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah, is Jesus the anointed king. Jesus is our king, and we want to bow down to him and not to anything else, any other beast. We bow down to Jesus. God wants us to repent. All these warnings here are given to us ahead of time. Isn't that good news? If you're headed towards a cliff, isn't it your best friend who tells you, don't walk over that cliff? (laughs) Right? Who warns you? We talked about the letter in Revelation 2. 
where it talks about Jezebel, it says, I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into the great tribulation, unless they repent of her works. That God wants us to turn from our sin to him. And that's the purpose. That's one of the purposes of this book, is to see clearly Jesus and what his, his goodness is, but also the, the alternative. If Jesus isn't our king, who is going to be? If Jesus isn't your Lord, are you going to be? And what's the end result of that? It's going to be destruction. Um, not just in the next life. It's the second death, Revelation calls it. Even now, we're, you'll, we'll be wishing upon ourselves or choosing to walk into this destruction. Just like I said, it's sin and wrath is like a sheep saying to the shepherd, you don't, I don't want you to be my shepherd. I want to get out of this pen and go in the, in, in the woods with the wolves. And God's saying, don't go. Stay here. I'm, I'm, here, I'm here for your good. And he is. God loves us and died for us. The same God who hates sin loves, loves us and died for us. It highlights his great love for us. You see this song here in Revelation 15. Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord, God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. Aren't we glad that one day God is going to put an end to all evil, suffering, and death? Right? You know, I say this often as an adult. I'm, all, I'm almost continually surprised about how bad the world is. I think I was quite sheltered, you know, as a child in, in many ways. And the world's a lot worse. Like Kirksville is a lot worse than I thought as a kid, right? There's things that go on that are just unspeakable. And as an adult, you know, you shield your kids from those things. And I feel like it honestly took me becoming an adult to really understand, to really, really understand God's wrath and to understand his anger. Because when you get to see just things that are unspeakably horrible and the results and the rippling results, it's like God was right. Like this can't go on forever. God, you've got to put it into this. This just seems, it's, it's unendurable to think about. But God is going to put it right. But he's waiting. He's waiting because he not only hates the sin, but he loves people, even sinners, who are rebelling against him. He loves them enough to delay and give time for repentance. And that's a good news. That's good news. I'll read you here from Ezekiel eighteen twenty one through 23. If a wicked person turns away from all his sins that he has committed and keeps all my statutes and does what is just and right, he shall surely live and not die. See how it's connecting sin and life and death again. None of the transgressions that he has committed shall be remembered against him for the righteous, for the righteousness that he has done, he shall live. Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, and not rather that he should turn away and live. Another very similar verse, also from Ezekiel. Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked should turn from his way and live. Again, wrath and, and death and life all connected there. Turn back, turn from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? So we see in all this God's great love, right? 
If God is good, He has to put an end to sin. If God is just, He has to punish sin. But God is so good that He is willing to forgive. And can't we say, great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord, that God would be willing to die for us? Just and true are His ways. God's not going to give anyone anything that they don't deserve. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify Your name? For You alone are holy. Your righteous acts have been revealed. It's pretty amazing, really, because many times when we think about the wrath of God, the most common objection or, or thing, you know, people grade against it is really a false idea in their mind. Just like actually, I think Aaron said this when we had, you know, does anyone have anything to say? But they kind of imagine in their mind somebody who really wants to be saved and then God says no. But the reality is, is that think about Jesus when he was going to his death. Remember what happened when he was on his way to the cross and he wept over Jerusalem and he said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets. I would have gathered you, but you were not willing. Like a hen gathers her chicks. You know, I would have gathered you. That's what Judgment Day is going to be like. God is going to say, I was willing. I died on the cross to offer. There's a real offer of forgiveness for you, but you were not willing. It's never going to be the reverse. It's never going to be somebody saying to God, I really wanted to be saved, God, but you weren't willing to save me. It's, it's going to be Jesus looking in their eyes with tears, with holes in his hands, and his side to prove, and his feet to prove he meant it. And blood, his, his robe dipped in his own blood. He was willing. And God will say, I was willing, but you weren't. And that's a sad thing, right? It's a, it's a tragic thing, you know? To say, I don't want to be saved. I want to stay in the darkness, right? Remember what sin is? Loving the darkness more than the light. I want to stay in the darkness. Sin is saying to God, I, I, don't reign over me. To say to God, Jesus, I see what you did. I see how you died for me. I see um, your perfect life. But I don't really care. I'd rather be apart from you. I'd rather live apart from you. That's a tragedy. And what's the result? Exactly that. God says, okay, you have a choice. If you want to reject me, you can. If you want to be in the darkness, I'll let you stay there. If you want to have your sin devour you, I'll give you the choice. But whenever you're ready, if you want to come, I'm, I'm asking you, repent, commanding you, repent, turn back. Just like it says in Ezekiel. Why would you do this? Um, let me get it word perfect here. Why not rather turn and turn from your way and live? Why not rather turn and live? So I'm going to kind of summarize this here. This is really, really important. You know, it kind of reminds me, I heard a message one time where we, it was like they're talking about the wrath of God and like half of it was just spent basically apologizing, you know, like basically basically apologizing that we have to read the Bible and read what it says. And it's like, that's not right, <laughs> you know? We don't want to think about God's wrath. If you think about God's wrath and you feel 
kind of ashamed. Something's not right in your thinking. Um, it's good to have a just judge that's going to put all things right. That's a good, that's a good thing. And even more than that, God is a loving judge. Think about a judge like this. What's the most kind of serious sentence on, on earth? I'll give one the final illustration. The most serious sentence on earth basically is the death penalty, right? Imagine if there was a judge who every time he gave the death penalty, he had to feel what the person felt. Some sort of, I don't know. I don't know how it would work. Just for the sake of argument. But he would feel it. He knew exactly what it felt like to receive the death penalty. And what if that judge said, you know what? I'm going to choose to feel that. So I know exactly what it is I'm sentencing people to. That would be a good judge. Wouldn't you want to be judged by that judge rather than some guy who, has, who doesn't really know what's going on or doesn't really care? That's what Jesus did on the cross. Whatever hell is and judgment is, Jesus suffered it perfectly on the cross. All, every piece of it, spiritually, emotional, relational, physical, every part of it, Jesus suffered by choice for us. He knows when Jesus says, depart from me, he knows exactly what he's sentencing people to because he chose to feel it and suffer it. Not just unfeelingly, but because he loves us. That's a good God. That's a good judge. That's the kind of judge you want to judge the world. And so, just like it says here, we can just say, we just worship God for who he is, his righteous acts. We're thankful. We don't need to be ashamed of God's wrath. We don't have to apologize for it, but we do want to understand it rightly, right? We don't want to be unfeeling. The other side is, I've heard people talk about hell and wrath and judgment like it's no big deal. Like it's just flippant. Like the the care for people is gone out of the words. It's like we can talk about hell and judgment. There's not a tear in their eye. There's no concern and love for people. And that's not what this chapter is talking about either, is it? Jesus deeply loves people. Jesus is deeply grieved by sin and death. And so, we don't want either one. We don't want either extreme, right? We, don't, we just want to be biblical, which is what? Wrath is real and right and good, but it's not unmixed with, there's still sorrow. There's still sorrow there. Even God is sorrowful over the death of the wicked. It's not... A happy thing. The happy part is that things are going to be put right. But we still love people. And so we just say what the book of Revelation says. Repent. Turn. Why? Why not turn? So, to summarize, we should fear God. Why? Because God is the only place we can run to. He's our only refuge. Just like the kids in, in the shop class with the tools, if they fear the, the power and the danger that they can relate to them rightly, we, we want to fear God, relate to Him rightly. And when we do that, perfect love casts out fear. We can have a fear that brings us into right relationship, into repentance, under His lordship, through faith in Him. And that we know that He's out for our good. That when He says sin is sin, it's because He loves us. Because He's trying to lead us. 
and that wrath is perfectly just, that this, this idea of drinking the wine of, the, of sexual immorality and drinking the wine of God's wrath, the reason that it's the same sentence, even using the same words, is because it's perfectly just. People are choosing to not have Christ as their king. And there's consequences to that. But the good news is that we have a God who loves us. We have Jesus who died for us and made a way that though we deserve wrath, we can find mercy because he took the punishment for himself on the cross. He's the lamb that was slain. And so we can be thankful and we can worship. I'm sharing that verse Exodus 20, 20 one more time because it's so helpful where it gets both those pieces Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that you may fear him. <laughs> That's a good news. Well, that what you said reminded me of one more thing. Um, that, uh, you know, what you said about worldliness, you know, it's like kids know that it's good for evil to be defeated, you know? And I, I kind of a funny thing happened. Uh, uh, two days ago, um, there, some of the ladies got together, um, and Jess was gone. It was just me and Jack and and Joy. And Jack said, "Dad, <clears throat> can we get in the car and go to the bad guy station?" And I was like, "What are you talking about?" He's like, "Go wherever all the bad guys are." He's like, "I'll put my lightsaber in the back, and <laughs> we can we can go in there <laughs> and fight them." And I was like, "Well," I was like, "All right." Because I like, I have to ask, you know, like with kids that are like young, you have to say like, "Is this pretend or real?" And like, real, like where the real bad guys are. And I had to just tell them like, "Well, that's good." And I we talked about it's a, when do we fight to protect and, and all that. But it just reminded me of the whole thing of like what you're saying about worldliness. It's like it's good. Everyone knows it's good for evil to be defeated, you know. But then we lose sight, you know. Especially I think partly because we forget. Yeah, you know what? I'm evil. <laughs> God has wrath against me. I've chosen evil. And so I'm part of the bad guys, right? And not wanting to admit that, you kind of have to explain things away. But all that is to say, what you, know, what you were saying is like, kids know it's good you know, to, for evil to be defeated. Um, anyways, why don't we pray and then we'll sing Jesus. Thank you. Father, we're just thankful. We're thankful that you're good and righteous. Uh, We're thankful for your justice. Um, We're so thankful for forgiveness. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for us. We need need you every day, and we're so thankful um, that you are good and right, and you're going to put everything right. We're thankful that you offer forgiveness. Um, I pray for just our kids that they would really know you, and trust you and see your goodness and love you. Uh, repent and have their faith in you. I pray, God, that that verse would be real to us, that we might look, fear you, that you teach us to fear so that we, that we won't need to fear um, and turn us from sin. We just need help. I pray you'd protect us from um, thinking that's not right. Give us clear thinking through your word. Um, we just need help every day. Uh, Renew our minds. Uh, Help us to serve you this week. We want to serve you and be like you and be with you all our days. We're very thankful. Um, 
just for all the blessings you've brought in our life. And we do pray, come Lord Jesus, we want you to put all things right. And we're looking forward to that day. And we do pray, save many, many people um, before that, for that day. Amen.